it's time for another bisexual brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Lewis Oakley and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. Yeah, welcome to another uh, Bisexual Brunch. And uh, it seems a while ago, actually, that we got together. Um, I think that's probably because uh, we've all been extra, extra busy. You finally moved house. Is that right, Nikki? No, I haven't. I'm now looking to buy a house, so the process of moving has started all over again, but with the much scarier prospect of getting a mortgage approved and <laughs> finding somewhere finding somewhere we could actually better live. Somewhere a bit cool, a bit green. Yeah, it's just been really tricky because, uh, because me and my husband are freelance and he's had a hospitality business, he's considered a risky... Uh, a risky client for a lender, which is ridiculous. So um, it's been really, really difficult. Yeah, it's so hard buying though, because I feel like you've got to kind of like predict where your life's going to be in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like me and Laura have been talking about like buying and I'm like, I think we should just rent for five years because we just don't even know like where we're going to be in, in five years time. It's so tricky. I think just with the pandemic, I've absolutely had enough of living in town. Mm. And um, still need to be here for work, but want to be as far out and as much of a green space as possible now. And I feel really yeah. happy with that decision because for ages I was like, love city life. We live, we, we live in Stockwell in London. We live right in the middle of town, really. You know, like 10 minutes from the Houses of Parliament kind of thing. But I, I need green. And I, I, think my, I think my mental health has been really suffering as a result of where I live that's so concrete. So I feel really good about it, actually. It, but yes, we are just at the beginning of the process. So... If you keep asking me, Ash, it will like it's all you'll hear from me for the next six months minimum. So I, <laughs> I, I just wouldn't bother actually in future. Well, you're a Yorkshire lass, of course. You thought about going back to Wakefield? Oh my God, no, hell no, <laughs> never. <laughs> I've got nobody there anymore. Since no. my family left, I don't have anyone there, so it's actually quite sad for me to go back now. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, but obviously there's a lot of countryside up there, and a lot of countryside in you know the north of England. Beautiful countryside, but the weather is shit. Like down here <laughs> is so much nicer, and it, it really affects my mood. The sun, so it's like. I'll take whatever extra 22 minutes a day we get. <laughs> well, I'm the, ex- I'm the completely opposite because I'm not a massive Sun fan at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since the lockdown has uh, sort of eased or come out, we've come out of lockdown, everybody outside near where we are is partying constantly. And it just irritates me. It gets really, it gets really annoyed because um, it's like it's the middle of summer and it's not really. It's like, you know, it's, it's spring and it's March and it's cool and I don't want to hear it until 11 o'clock at night. You know what I mean? So I sound a bit of a, miser- a, bit of a victim Eldrew, but it really irritates me. You do me. sound a bit miserable, Ash, <laughs> after everyone's just been in the pandemic. Give them a break. But also, but, but also, also I'm a bit sceptical about um, what's happening at the moment because I worry that with these extra strains and things, mm. I worry that actually it's going to go back the other way, and uh, you know people aren't 
people aren't wearing masks in shops and things, you know. Oh, no, you I've know, noticed that too. You know, it's crazy. It, yeah, that bit is really strange to me. You, know, how you go into Tesco or something and everywhere, everywhere, everyone just thinks the pandemic's over and there's nothing to worry about anymore. I know. Yeah, I know. it's weird. Crazy. And then the other thing, on the, on the, on the side of buying a house, um, me and my partner aren't bothered about that at all. We're just... We we we're, we're happy to rent for the rest of it. You know, it's like we're, we're a bit a bit like the French. I think you know we're not we're not really bothered about that. You know, it's sort of, and I think I always think there's a bit too much pressure in this country on buying places, buying property. You know what I mean? I understand mm. the I understand the reasons why people do it, and I understand that you know the, the argument of well, if you're renting it, you might as well buy and all that kind of stuff. But I just feel as though I feel it makes me feel a bit the whole ident idea of buying a house and sort of it's that sort of thing of. I don't know, sort of entrapping you kind of thing. You've got to, I mean, I know you can buy a house and sell it and all the rest of it, but all the rigmarole that goes with it, you know, mm -hmm. I couldn't be bothered, but you know, I couldn't be bothered. It's a big so. decision. That's why yeah. I've left my husband to do it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. See, for me, it, it's all about the interior. Like, I don't watch actual porn anymore. I just look at interiors on Instagram and that's my uh, porn. <laughs> so I just can't wait to, like, have like a place because it's not just about the the renting and the buying like it's once you bought it it's like i can do whatever the hell i want with it i don't like this wall i'm gonna knock this wall out whereas when you rent it's like don't you dare even put a nail in that wall yeah yeah now there is something in that i agree but it's just i've just now i'm just not excited by property in any way shape or form it does not interest me I'd, I'd quite happily be a be somebody who just traveled around if if i could you know i'd maybe buy my own train and i'd live on the train and just keep traveling i'm just doesn't, doesn't bother me you know i'm just not interested in in property but anyway um yeah so we've all been busy i've uh, ha i've been busy the last few weeks on the production side of things with um various things lots and lots of things actually music programs things i've been making but in the last week or so um i had to turn around several um special documentaries about about prince philip um which of course is a big thing here in the uk and around the globe of course because um the queen is head of state in 16 different countries and head of the commonwealth and all the rest of it and so that's been yeah it's been hard work it was like um, as soon as the announcement came of he died on that friday afternoon at midday i was sort of non-stop almost sort of 18 hours a day you know doing these these documentaries and things and what slightly annoyed me about it was uh, is that the media and we knew this was going to happen because it's an obit thing in the sense that they have to react in different certain way in the uk when it comes to a, a senior member of the royal family but to be honest, they do this with everything now. It's that whole thing of everything becoming one-story news, which really irritates me. And it's time the media started to pace itself with everything, in my view. Because from my perspective of making some documentaries, that are special documentaries, it was really hard to keep our stuff fresh. And, and because our stuff was, was, was going to go out around the, around the time of the funeral. But, of course, you know, by that point... Every man and his dog had done something, you know what I mean? And so it's really irritating from a practical point of view. But just from a general point of view of, of, of the news cycle, I don't think it's good for everything to be one-story news all the time. I find that really irritating because, I mean, Lewis and I were talking about before we started recording that, you know, it's like you jump from one thing to another and and it's sort of, you know, nobody has a chance to absorb anything and actually get to grips with it. And the other thing about Prince Philip, which has been interesting, actually, is the caricature that we had before he died of this particular guy. I've now watched loads of interviews with him over the years and I've got a completely different impression. You know, he, he seems seemed a reasonable chap. He was, 
you know, funny and quite relaxed and laid back and all the rest of it. And I think it give, it's a warning to everybody that, you know, what you read and what you see and what you hear through the media, you, a lot of the time, sadly, and we're in the media, you have to take with a pinch of salt, don't you? You know what I mean? It's, um, you know, you need to search things out yourself and, and, and make up your own mind because it's not necessarily um, carte blanche the truth, is it? I think it's really interesting thinking about it from the rolling news perspective, Ash, because obviously, you know, I work for Sky quite a lot and this week didn't, so wouldn't have had to do what would have been endless talking about Prince Philip because there's only so much you can say unless you're a royal expert and you studied him for years and watched him for years. What else comment can you really add, you know? So I've been watching lots of talking heads who are historians or various biographers over the past week try to fill airtime and it gets to a point where... It actually feels like you're doing the person a disservice because people get so bored by the repetition of the information that they actually just switch off. And that's not what should happen. You should have one standout or a few standout programmes that tell the story really well, that inform people, the public, what's going on, and then broadcast the funeral. So it's nothing to do with anything against Prince Philip and the poor Queen, but... It really is just about how we oversaturate people. But with we things. do it with everything, don't we? Now, we, do you know what I mean? We do it with absolutely everything. We, you know, going back to COVID, I think we we created a, a situation, a mood in the country where people, you know, people who weren't necessarily directly affected, they don't have any relatives who had COVID or they anybody who died from COVID or whatever. People were starting to do like they did in in the seventies and eighties in in the UK when you heard constantly, constantly about horrible things happening in Northern Ireland, you'd switch off from it in the news. Mm-hmm. And and th- this this is what happened with COVID. So people actually started to take more risks because, you know, so I just think we, I just think we as journalists and people who are in PR and whatever need to start to think, you know, what can the public absorb? You know, how much can they take of something? And actually, are you doing yourself, yourself in terms of your work that you do, in terms of the fantastic work that a lot of people do in journalism, whatever it is, by going overboard with it? You know, it just seems mm-hmm. ludicrous. But why do we do that? You know, what is the reason? Why Why do we feel we have to do that? That's what I find fascinating. I think it's algorithms. I, I think they see, like, people are clicking on this, make 10 more. I mean, it's the whole Meghan Markle thing as well. It's like, I'm literally not even interested, but just constantly they see that, oh, some some people are, so we'll just create more and more of it. Um, but then you, tu- I, I do think you're right, you, you just turn people off then. Because if you're not one of the quarter of people interested in it, then you're just like, well, this is just pointless. I don't well, know yeah, why I mean, the program, the, the programs I was making were about people, ordinary people from all different parts of the world who met him at different points. So they're all really interesting stories. But we were working on this as a possible 100th birthday thing, because his 100th birthday was coming up in June. And so we've been working on it for a long, long time. You know, so we got some great stuff. Um, but then when it came to the, the scheduling and everything, we were we were pushed and pushed and pushed further and further back because everyone else and his, you know, everybody else was commenting on it. So it was just, yeah, it's just, um, it, it, I, I mean, you know, um, it's just interesting, I think, just to... Um, see how these things play out and and the fact that we um we we seem to have no control well certainly the public have no control of it but we in the in the in the system seem to have no control over what is what seems to become a monster with big stories whatever it is it becomes it takes on a life of its own doesn't it and i think that's quite um quite scary and i think we should think about that we should talk about that a bit and find out why do why is that happening and you know, so anyway, that's that's so what. So, uh, Louis, Nikki's been busy with her moving. I've been busy with Prince Philip. What about you, Louis? What have you been busy doing? Just been raising my kids. 
just just raising my kids, working hard. There's not much time for anything else. And now the shops have reopened. So the other the two days in a row, I worked all day. And then quickly, like, as soon as I finished working, it was like, quick, we're, we're taking the kids to the to the toy shop. Or quick, we're taking the kids clothes shopping the next day. So you get kind of like, I, I, I wake up, I play with the kids. Then I work. Then it's like, we've got to do other things. So the other day, it was like nine o'clock. It was like the first time I was like, can I just sit down for a minute and not do anything? Um, yeah, that that's my life. Just constantly in a search of free time. You were late. You were late turning up today, Nikki, and you missed the chance to see um, our little friend, didn't she? Oh, yeah, did you... I miss her? Oh, yeah, no. I had Maisie on waiting. Um, oh, bless! Yeah. I'm so sorry. What? Um, <laughs> oh God, I don't even know how big she is now. Tell me what she looks like now. She's really big. Um, she is standing, so she's trying to kind <gasps> wow. of walk, and she's only six months. Um, but honestly, it's really weird because, like, babies are cute, right? Fine. I would never in my wildest dreams think about going up to someone and being like, your baby's really cute. Maybe especially as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would not believe, like, we cannot walk from one end of the street to the other without, like, three people stopping and being like, your baby's so cute. Which is lovely. It's honestly so nice. But I'm just like, I just wouldn't be able to do that, to be honest. But honestly, it's, it's constant. And I'm, she loves the attention. She'll, like, play up to it. She'll bat her eyes and everything. Um, so maybe that's an indication for how things are going to go. Um, but yeah, like every, every, like so many people will comment on how cute your baby is, which is so like, I've just, it's just something I've never partaken in. So I do find it a bit weird. There was someone on the bus earlier that was like talking to her and like, you know, trying to touch her and like stuff. And I'm like, get your hand off my baby. (laughs) Oh my God. That would really, that would really annoy me. It's a bit like, um, unsolicited bump touching. So apparently loads of women say that when they get pregnant, people, strangers will just literally come and touch their bump. And it's oh. really invasive. It's not, it's yeah. it's absolutely not your business. And you must feel the same with Maisie. I think that actually make me really angry. People get trying to interact with her. And I didn't want them to. Yeah, interact with her. And two people today trying to like touch her and like pull her little Aww. feet. And I'm just like, I don't know you. You could be crazy. Get away. Maisie gave um, me Maisie gave me a wave though, didn't she? She gave oh, me a wave. She did. She's yeah. getting good at waving. She still doesn't understand the, like why everyone she's ever met is trapped in a screen because there's been a pandemic. <laughs> So when she like meets people in in person, she gets well freaked out. She's um they do apparently have this phase that she's going through right now where she gets really shy. So she'll Aww. be on like Zoom with my parents, and then she'll just suddenly like put her head down and like hide. So she gets really shy, which is quite cute. Well, I don't think I don't think uh, the rest of us really understand why we're in this bubble anyway. To be honest, but we, 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 <laughs> some reason it happened at some point. We'll look back at it and think, oh my god, what was all that about? Um, but. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. And then the other thing that's changed, of course, I can't we can't see Nikki today, but so I don't know what's happened, whether Nikki's had a haircut, but certainly you've had a haircut, haven't you, Lewis? And I've had a haircut. You've had a haircut, Ash. All this is all like the Lewis salon. I my haircut is booked for Thursday. So I've been doing things with it, so it looks different, but it it needs a cut. And Obviously, this is a vi- um, uh, an audio thing, so it's not visual, but I'm pulling it down my hair now. It's literally, like, to my eye. That's how, like, long my hair... I've never had hair this long in my life. I can't wait to get it sorted. 
Well, I've had mine mine cut, and somebody I interviewed the other day, um, my age came up, and they said, "Oh, you, d- you definitely don't look that age." So that was thought that was quite quite nice. But I thought I did look bloody awful when uh, when I had m- my hair really long. It was just getting, you know, some people are good with long hair, and some people aren't, are they? And you know, I'm just not good with it being too long. But at the same time, I couldn't go through that process of quite a few people I know, just literally blokes I know, just literally shaved it off, and I'd look absolutely awful with a you know a real you know shaved head, just not me. It's not my my head head's not shaped right enough for a, for, a, for shaving it all off. <laughs> so Nikki, have you had a, have you had a haircut? No, I had my nails done, and this was just oh, you, you can't even explain to you the feeling because the basically he's a special polish called shellac that you can't get off yourself, so it just grows out. So you just have to put up with it. And I had Leaden Blaston at Christmas. So I basically, I've just been waiting and waiting and waiting. And it was like the most luxurious, best feeling in the world to have my nails on. My, to- my toes and my fingers painted. It was so good. It was nice, actually, going to, the, going to get my hair cut. And it, it, bizarrely, because there was a lot of hair, it seemed the, the whole thing seemed to happen really quickly. Usually they spend ages, you know, doing this, that and the other with it. And this time it was literally just, you know, in and out really quickly. So uh, I, don't, I don't know what it was. But and then I got my beard sorted out as well. So anyway, so that's great. So we're on, we're on the, we're on the uh, you know, we're on the trajectory to hopefully um, normal life. Though, as I say, I, I worry that um, it's all a little bit too soon and we're going to suddenly find ourselves in lockdown again in about six months. But we'll, we will see. Um, on the bisexual... Think people are vaccinated now. So that's my whole thing. Like, so many people are vaccinated. Will, will it really? I don't know. Well, it could do, you see, because, because um, these bugs mutate and they change and they alter. And, you know, I've heard talk that actually younger people uh, in the mutations could be more affected than the older people this time. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's... I don't think we're out of the woods completely. Um, and that's why it worries me that people aren't, you know, um, still taking some degree of precaution, which I think they ought to do. I know I know, everybody wants to get out and enjoy themselves, and I understand that. But I do think that, you know, we could end up being in a difficult situation again um, later later in the year, which is quite worrying. I mean, it's still, you know, look how, look how it's doing. You know, certain some of these strains are really going, you know, mad in certain parts of the world, aren't they, at the moment? So... You know, it's a it's a concern, but uh, yeah, we'll still see how, see how it goes. But um, back to bisexuality, of course, which is what we're supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be chatting about. Um, there's been some research done in America about um, straight men, and um, Lewis, you've been having a little look at this. We are trying to get the actual uh, the, the person who carried out the original research to speak to us about this, but it's about straight men having sex with uh, men and still identifying as. Straight. Tell us about it, Lewis, if you can. Yes, this was a study. I mean, it was limited. I think it was only done on, it was interviews with 60 men that basically identify as straight, but have also have sex with men and not just the one time that that this is a regular enough thing Um, and kind of looking at why they still identify as straight. So there are a couple of conclusions they had. I mean, the overall one was just that they weren't straight, but they were closeted. So they still identify as straight because they feel that that still gives them access to the masculine straight culture, which they, you know, maybe identify more with or they feel safer there than in the LGBT space that it would be being out. Some of them said that they saw it as a loophole, um, that, you know, you're married, but having sex with men isn't really cheating because you're straight and you're, you know, for some reason not really enjoying it or, or something along those lines, I guess, is the rationale. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Did the word bisexual was... come out at all in this article, in any way, shape or form? 
No, I didn't read the word bisexual at yeah, all. There um, you go. There you go. <laughs> says it all, really, in my view. But there you standard. go. Standard. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, look. I mean, we know that the stats for closeted bi men are really high. Anyway, I mean, some of them put them at, up at eighty-two percent. Um, some of the research. Um, so this is this is a thing, and I think that there. That, it's an awkward space to be in, right? If, because I don't, I'm, I've definitely come away from the whole. I'm going to drag you out of the closet, kicking and screaming. If if someone feels comfortable, and they, you know, and they they feel better off in the closet, like it's not on us to be like, well, you've got to come out, you must. Um, but I can't imagine it's the healthiest thing to to be doing. And that you know that this report, the one thing did say it was like internalized homophobia. Well, it could also be internalized biphobia. Let's let's put that out there. Um, but I think it's it, I I don't know. I think it's a it's a really tricky one because there isn't a bisexual culture that's really expansive I guess so you know I, I think a lot of bi people that are in the closet probably do think well better off identifying straight because then I'll have to identify it in the gay community there's not really a bi community that's really strong that, that, that really will validate them as bisexual people maybe I'm trying to be empathetic here yeah, no, it's hard, isn't it? It's a difficult one because we have this whole thing, don't we, these days about people um, wanting people to allow people to identify as whatever they want to be. And I think we as bisexual people would be a bit hypocritical, really, to say that we that people shouldn't identify with the way they want to do, want to be because there's so many different types of people out there who are bisexual and identify in different ways. Um, but it does slightly um, concern me because. I spoke to a couple of people after I'd seen this uh, who were um, who were gay and straight, and their automatic answer was, "Well, that's nonsense. They're just they're just gay. You know what I mean? They're, they're just gay. They're just denying it, and they're in denial. And, and that's what I mean. It's sort of, it, it, I, it, you know, that's why I asked you: is the word bisexual in there? Because it strikes me that yet again we're in a situation whereby research is being done and made, and nobody's actually looking at the the prospect of what's in the middle what else is out there that people can identify in, in different ways so what about you nikki do you um do you find it worrying well obviously i support everybody's right to you know personal preference for how they label themselves but i think we do ourselves a disservice if we decide that we want to use the privilege of being straight and then we won't admit to our actual behaviors which in turn just perpetuate the idea there's something wrong with being bi or gay or pan or whatever it is that you want to be so I think it would and because I mean this isn't a new thing is it you know this has been going on for hundreds of years men have always done this had sex with other men on the side but then been in perfectly respectable marriages or whatever and I think in many ways it sounds like a step backwards not a step forwards and it's very sad if people can't admit to whom they're sleeping with shouldn't we ideally be in a situation where maybe you have a label but then maybe you say well but sometimes i do sleep with people who don't fit that yeah yeah no it's it's, it's interesting I and mean, a little bit later on we'll be hearing um this week's bisexual journey story and uh within that we talk about um the issue of not defining the person we're speaking to is bisexual but um he uh, sort of talks about um periods in his life when He's not been able to define himself, and he's he's actually reaching out himself through various methods uh, through through um, um, the internet uh, to people uh, who at the moment feel as though they can't define themselves, as it were. Um, you know, we define ourselves as bisexual and are happy about that, and um, I, I don't feel as though I want to force that on anybody. 
I think it's, it's it's up to people to be open with whatever they want to be open with, I suppose. But just the mere fact that you're getting these studies done and there's no mention of the possible multitude of alternatives uh, of being able to identify with somebody, you know, whether it be pansexual or bisexual or the various other ones that are out there. Um, I just find it really, really sad that we're, you know, we, we, we're not able to, to do that. It'd be in- really interesting to hear the, 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 I suppose, the motives really more than anything from the person who's done, who's actually done the research, wouldn't it, in that sense? I do think as well, you know, on the subject of, you know, men that are having sex with men but still identify as straight, it's, it is sad for them because it, it, it's still like you're playing a character to feel accepted, if that makes sense. If you don't feel that you could tell people, you know, like, look, I do have sex with, with men, even though, you know, I also have sex with women. If you can't be honest with the people in your life about that, that's not a healthy position to be in. Whilst I do, of course, you know, accept everyone's right to identify and use the labels that, that are happy with them. But if you're using labels as a shield to hide who you really are, I think, you know, that, that that's not a healthy place to be in. Um, as much as I don't think that everyone has to come out of the closet if they really don't want to, I, I just don't think it's a healthy place for them to be in. And I, I think we've all been there, right? Because I I kind of saw that on, on kind of a step of my coming out journey, right? Where it was like, oh, I'm straight, but, you know, and this is really early on, about 19, where it's like, I am having sex with men, though. But But it doesn't really count because I'm straight. But I feel like eventually you kind of get to that point of like, well, no, let's let's stop you. Let, let's stop thinking about that. Like there is a reason you, you keep having sex with men and women. What is it? And then you can kind of, you know, begin that coming out process. So it might just be that they're on a certain stage of their coming out journey. Who knows? Yeah, it could be. And But of course, you know, as we've acknowledged before, the, there are lots of different types of people who we, who we class as bisexual who are you know, guys who are having, uh, are in relationships with women uh, who, you know, the relationship, the, the thing they see most about the relationship is the, the closeness and the affection and the friendship, etc. But when it comes to sex, they really, really are more interested in men. You know, it, on the outside, the, a lot of people would probably say, well, they're gay then, aren't they? But actually... They're not, are they? You know what I mean? It's it's a it's a very complex area. Do you know what I mean? I feel like as well. I know this is probably really unpopular, but I do feel like the LGBT in general has got an issue with people that won't come out. It's kind of like if you're not out and throwing glitter around and dancing in the street about about your identity, the LGBT doesn't really seem to be there to be supportive and I'm sorry like we have to accept that whatever the percentage is maybe it's 10% 20% of LGBT people will never feel comfortable enough to come out but that doesn't mean that they don't deserve our love and support and that we shouldn't put effort into being like okay well how can we support LGBT people that are never going to be able to come out of the closet whether that's because of religion culture you know self-hatred whatever it is um you know, in the UK, we've obviously been celebrating um, the banning of conver- conversion for the therapy, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But my thoughts on that are like, that's fantastic. But that's that that's not a job done because there were still people going for the therapy. So you need to figure out how you're going to support those people that were going for the therapy, because that's how unhappy and miserable they are, that they were going to put themselves through, you know, despicable therapies um, because they didn't want this. 
And you can't just gloss over that and be like, well, we banned it, job done, victory. It's not. We, we still need to figure out how to support these people that are never going to be comfortable enough to come out. What's interesting, Nikki, is we've got this study about, you know, straight men uh, are still straight, even if they have in the odd bit of sex with a, with a bloke. Um, we don't seem to ever have that suggested around women, do we? It seems as though, you know, with women, it's, it's taken as red, really, that they might end up doing a bit with a woman. I think it is, yeah. And again, I think that's actually a kind of prejudice against women that we think that the sex that women have is just not as important or interesting and that the only sex that's really disruptive is sex between men too. And I think when you look back at um, the history of how women having sex with women was talked about in Parliament, for example, I think it was in the 1930s, they decided that they wouldn't write lesbianism into law or anything forbidding it because if they did, then women might read about it and get the wrong idea. And that's just crazy. But yeah, no, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because on the female side of things, that that there is definitely a, a difference in the narrative and the way we think about um, women and their sexuality compared to men and their sexuality. And it doesn't see that doesn't seem to, you know, it's interesting because um, I don't want to give too much away, but um, in the interview that we're going to play out, um, where I've interviewed. Um, Mark Stokes about his um, bisexuality um, it's revealed <laughs> a little bit within that of this this thing that we've often talked about um, Nikki that um, that women do actually find the potential of two men having sex quite attractive um, mm. and it never gets talked about you know we talk about it on this pro- on this program but it never ever gets mentioned and and I find it quite um, I don't know. I don't understand why. I don't understand. You know, surely you know the, the, these people who write articles about sex. I mean, you, you're one of these people. <laughs> I'm sure you would. But you know, surely that if you're going to try and explore sexuality, as it were, um, that would be an interesting area to go down, wouldn't it? What, what's the what are they frightened of? Do you think? I don't know. It's a really interesting one because I've definitely pitched over the years to write about it and I've always been told that there just isn't enough interest. Which The, the minute somebody says that to me about a sex story, I'm, that actually means there's a lot of shame around it and that's why they won't print it or publish it. It doesn't mean that there's not interest. So so, so it is fascinating. But um, uh, women do talk about it amongst themselves privately. So those conversations are happening. We're just not public about them yet. That's all. Yeah, and do you think that's about stigma? about stigma? That's definitely about stigma, and I think that I think it's actually more to do with the stigma towards women watching porn than it is to do with women thinking that two men together would be hot. Right. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Okay. Okay. So a little bit later on, we're going to come back and talk about the issue of unrequited love. I'm sure everyone's got stories of this uh, both ways. Uh, whether you've got a crush on somebody or somebody has a crush on you, and you've had to deal with it in some way. You know, how do we deal with it, and do we deal with it very well or not? My suspicion is that we all get it wrong somewhere along along the lines. So we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, that's after this break and after this week's uh, bisexual journey story. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. I am a journalist and broadcaster and I'm 37 years old. I live in London with my husband. I'm originally from West Yorkshire. About five years ago, I had a single episode of psychosis which led to suicidal ideation. I'm Devon Rees and this is Life Matters. 
Our very own Nikki opens up to the new groundbreaking Life Matters podcast. Now that I'm older and I look back, I think in my teens, I was beginning to realise that I was bisexual, but I couldn't put a name to it. There were definitely relationships that I had with girls growing up that were more than just friendships, but I couldn't really put my finger on what they were. On top of all this angst, all this pressure that I was under, you know, to perform... I wasn't really able to be myself. I certainly felt like I can't live like this anymore. Our aim with these shows is to discuss solutions and raise awareness of very important issues which touches many of us. This is Life Matters with actor Dovan Rees. Listen within your podcast provider by searching for Life Matters and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. Everyone loves a bit of nostalgia, and now there's somewhere you can really indulge. Distinct Nostalgia is the podcast that celebrates all our favourite classic TV and films with the people who were there. And the thing about Ripley, I've rarely met someone who, if they want to talk about that film, doesn't say at some point, God, it spoke to me. And sometimes they can't even articulate why. Together with new drama and comedy, as well as a regular game show testing your TV and film knowledge, there's over 150 hours of entertainment. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Go to distinctnostalgia.com now. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So it's time for another Bisexual Brunch personal bisexual journey story and we're talking to mark stokes who's 32 and from hertfordshire uh, in england mark it's lovely um to talk to you and to hear your um your story um as we always say you know it's important to listen and find out different stories from people who identify as bisexual because no bisexual story is the same uh, we do discover though that the i've discovered along over time that there are similarities of course along the way um and one of the similarities tends to be that people have come to the conclusion uh, that they are bisexual or at least put that term on what they feel later in life as opposed to thinking about it at 13, 14, whatever it may be, like, you know, we assume um, many straight people do kind of thing. What's your experience? When did you decide, actually, you know what, I am, in fact, bisexual? Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a great honour, and you guys do great work, so I'm really happy to be here speaking with you today. Uh, You're absolutely right. A lot of our uh, bi community come to realized their identity a little bit later. And that was certainly the case for me. I was probably about 29 when I came to use the term bi or bi plus or bisexual. Um, And I think it was really just like most people. It's just not very clear (laughs) when, you know, you're expected to have this period of questioning in your early teens where you think, you know, what am I? Maybe I'm kind of confused. And then suddenly you have this light bulb moment and you find out that you are gay or lesbian. And then that is it decided for the rest of your life and it never changes. But I think that uh, a lot of us on the bi spectrum have a slightly more complex journey. That was certainly the case for me. I never felt that I fit into any box. And so it really took me a long time to kind of come to the understanding that bi was something which could 
encompass all the colourful uniqueness of of who I am. So yeah, I was pretty late, like many of us. So take us back to those younger years, though. Um, how did things start out? Were you did you find yourself as a teenager or whatever attracted to men more than women, or did you discover that? You know, you just fell into things because it was the norm at that time of, you know, the the situation you were in at school or organisations you were involved in or whatever. Where did you where did you sit at that particular point? I kind of found it extremely confusing because I grew up in the 90s and the 2000s when there were kind of only really two options. Uh, there was straight or there was this thing called gay and People kind of understood what gay was, um, but it really was the only option. And particularly for uh, men, or young men, if you fell outside the kind of heteronormative box in any way, either in your attractions or even in your behaviour or presentation, then you were kind of branded immediately with this word gay. And gay not only meant exclusively attracted to other guys, but it also meant something that was negative, something that was less than, something that was other, something that was kind of fair game to be ridiculed. So I had a kind of confusing set of attractions. Um, I had a very strong sense of my own kind of masculine gender. I connected very much as kind of he, him, and I felt a very strong connection which was always always there with the feminine and that kind of connected with me in a very kind of lovely and meaningful way and I always felt that that kind of fulfilled me um when it came to kind of surface level arousal or my kind of immediate sexual attractions I was having kind of quite a quite strong attractions for men but the the strange thing was that those attractions didn't really make sense to me and I couldn't really connect so they would be fleeting or they would be very one-dimensional there certainly wouldn't be any kind of romantic element to it and it, it also kind of dissipated very quickly if I was to kind of follow the train of thought or even later on if I was to kind of act on it so um I had this kind of really strong kind of bodily kind of gender-based and also romantic kind of connection with the feminine but I had this slightly kind of inquisitive and sexual fascination I guess with the masculine and this was kind of the weird mishmash where I was um, and it didn't really make sense. And I kind of worried that I would never really find any one person who I could actually have a full fulfilling relationship with. So I was really just kind of in the middle of this pool of confusion. Can you remember your first sort of serious sort of relationship as a young person? Can you remember and, and what, you know, did this feeling, these feelings you're talking about, did it play into that relationship? Did it cause you issues and more questions? Yeah, it did. And uh, I'm glad you asked that question. So I fell in love 
very hard with a girl when I was about kind of 13, 14. And I was kind of at that stage where you're beginning to feel kind of sexual attractions and you're kind of starting to know what that was, but it's still very kind of unclear as to how that's going to be for you. And I was so in love with her. And I remember telling my friends, I was like, I am in love with this girl. Uh, And they were like, oh, you're too young to feel love and everything. I was like, okay. Um, But years on, I now look back at that and I'm like, that love was so real. I was devoted to her. She was my everything. And I was super connected with her. Like when we were together, both physically and kind of just romantically, it just felt so good. We connected and it made me feel really fulfilled. And I loved being with her and everything about it. Um, It it did come at one stage to kind of, um, you know, the, the, the physical relationship between us. And I found that really terrifying and what I've realized kind of after many years later, I found that terrifying mainly because at that time I was also experiencing certain attractions to males. And because of the stigma of that, because of the fact that, you know, if you are attracted in any way to guys at that time, you were gay. I felt so invalid to be with her as a female. I felt so kind of, it's like emasculated and and unable to feel confident um, sexually uh, with her that I really, really struggled to express myself physically with her. And it's taken many, many years to kind of unpick a lot of that. But at the time... It just, it just made me really sad because I couldn't quite express myself, you know, as I was because of all of these labels and stereotypes and um, stigmas that were on me. Um, so, yeah, that was my first <laughs> proper relationship. It didn't last long, but it was beautiful. <laughs> did the, um, so, did, so did you, you know, did you communicate your to your friends then, your, you know, your gay side, as it were. So were you quite open? I mean, I, I remember at school um, having some crushes on guys when I was about 15, 16, and I was quite, at one point, I was quite open about it um, in the sense that it, that came, and it came crashing down on me because it was like, you know, how on earth, you know, because I was, basically I was expressing my feelings for somebody who was completely straight and they were sort of horrified by this event, you know what I mean? The fact that they've got this person who was gay saying they were lovely and they were falling in love with them and all the rest of it and other people got to know about it and it was, oh, it was horrendous. So did you, you know, what happened to you? Did you, were you did you express uh, your gay side? And, and, and absolutely, you're absolutely right. You know, for me, it was a case of as soon as I'd done that, that was it. I was, I was gay. There was no way of, anybody even considering that I might be interested in, in, in girls kind of thing. What, what was your experience for you around that side of things? Mm. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you had that experience. Um, I wish that it could have been different. And I have a lot of faith in the new generation that uh, they can come to these things in a, 
in a less traumatic way than <laughs> you and I maybe did. Um, so I really wasn't in a place to express the kind of same-sex attracted side of me just because, like you said, the minute you even utter that you're anything outside of the kind of strict confines of straightness, you are automatically assumed to be gay and that you're just kind of boxed and that's it. So I was terrified of of doing that. Um, most of my forays into kind of same-sex encounters were uh, a bit later and they were kind of casual in nature, kind of, they were not really very kind of healthy or like enjoyable experiences. They were filled with shame and uh, secrecy. But I was lucky enough at school to have a group of kind of, um, I guess you could describe them as queer um, young people. Uh, a couple of them kind of eventually came out as gay and a couple of them were just kind of just allies or people who were, um, you know, of that of that mindset. And they were a real kind of support to me um, in a way because I related a lot with them. I was like, oh, okay, like I, you, you get me and I get you, you know. Um, but in another way, it really confused me even more because you know, there were a couple of guys, very close friends, and they came out during their teens as gay, and they were kind of very sure about that. It was like they knew who they were, and they just had to go through the, like, admittedly horrendous experience of coming out, but, you know, they were so clear. And I just thought, hold on, I would love to have that clarity, but I'm just not like you that's just not I don't get that so I was in between these two worlds of like looking at the straight in quotation marks guys and being like I just don't understand you at all and then looking at the gay guys and being like I just don't get that either and feeling really alone so yeah it was tricky to find a space that I could express any side of me safely, to be perfectly honest. And, and you know, away from the, the, the side of dating and getting to know people and all that kind of stuff, did this have a knock-on effect on the way you lived your life? Just your general mood, you know, trying to... Obviously, you know, when you, you left school and got into education, you know, maybe further education or whatever, did it affect you as a general sense of being a human being, you know, you know, because we talk about it now much more openly, don't we, mental health and whatever. Do you have a sense, looking back, that it was having a general effect on you day to day? Yeah, absolutely. And I can definitely say yes. Um, it's not really until now that I look back that I am truly unpicking just how deeply it affected me. Uh, at the time, you're just going through it. But... I can honestly say that the mental health implications of having this kind of undefined, complex, kind of fluid by orientation and all of the, you know, the, the stuff that came around that, the, the, the impact of that was so profound. I was 
deeply anxious, depressed, and also suicidal, actually, for many years. Um, it made me quite a repressed person because I had this incredible frustration and anxiety inside me and absolutely no one to talk about it to. I had no resources, nowhere to go. I didn't even have, or I didn't even feel I had, like the queer community because I felt at that time that it was quite kind of homocentric. Um, you know, there was still a lot of biphobia there, or it's just what I perceived. And I became this intensely alienated person. And the joy from life was just sucked out of me. And it was like I was playing a game and pretending to live life, if that makes any sense. Like, I was kind of describe it as life was like a board game where everyone else seems to know the rules to the game. Um, it doesn't matter if you win or you lose, but, you know, at least you can have fun playing because you, you know, you can put in effort and win or be lazy and not win or luck, whatever. But I was trying to play this game and I didn't know the rules. And I just lived in fear of people finding out what they were finding out about me. I didn't even know. I didn't understand what was going on in my head and I couldn't explain it to anyone else, let alone myself. I felt like I would never have a partner. I would never find love. I would never have a family. Um, I felt constantly anxious about the way I was presenting because I didn't feel, I didn't feel like a man. I didn't, you know, because I was constantly, you know, put down by the kind of patriarchal heteronormative stereotypes. And yeah, I really questioned whether it was worth living in that space at all. And like a lot of people, I think, who who aren't out, as it were, I became quite high-functioning um, depressive, you know, because you can't, you have no outlet for it. So you've got to just keep keep the mirage going um the facade and I funneled a lot of my energy into my work into like other things achieving lots you know because I was constantly trying to gain pleasure from life and constantly trying to find meaning and identity in life where really fundamentally I felt none so yeah I got into a pretty <laughs> pretty sticky situation um throughout my kind of 20s um because of it sadly but you didn't take things further you you said you were feeling that you felt suicidal at one point you didn't you didn't end up going down that route did you you sort of kept on the you managed to keep things you know positive in a way in the sense that you at least kept going as it were there was no you didn't get to an extreme did it well thankfully thankfully I'm here and uh, what's funny is that when I was in those real kind of dark places I thought to myself do you know what if I ever get out of this if I ever 
kind of find a way of navigating this and living a fulfilling life. I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to be vocal and I'm going to tell people and I'm going to share it with others because I'm damn sure I'm not the only one who's suffering with this. There's got to be other people who are experiencing what I am. And if I can find some way of living, then I'm going to share it. And so it's an absolute honour to be sitting here today. (laughs) Um, And I speak a lot um, online on my platform and through work and and otherwise. Um, Just to really share my story. And every time I do, you know, you get people coming forward and going, do you know what, that was me too. So I'm so glad that I survived it. Um, My heart goes out to anyone who's still in that dark place. And I hope that we can, you know, speak more and give platform more to people like what you do through this podcast so that less people have to feel alone. Absolutely, absolutely. But but at that time... You, 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 there was nobody at all for you to turn to. Did you ever utter to anybody anything that was on your mind? Did you manage to talk to anybody? Did you get do you have any friends that you were able to offload to, or did you literally bottle it all up? I went to a university-based counsellor, um, and I went to my GP, um, and I had some counselling. And so I think those neutral support um, resources were what kind of felt right to me. I really didn't feel I was able to speak to anyone in my social world because I was so terrified of the stigma and I really didn't have a handle on it myself. So I just, I didn't really feel like anyone would understand because I didn't understand. So I sought professional help and thank goodness I did because really it it saved me but within that professional help i presume there was no sign within that that they were contemplating or considering or maybe even thinking that you might be bisexual in any way shape or form i presume that didn't come up in conversation that's an interesting question not really no and i i was i actually i went to my gp and it was clearly a person who was trying to help, but just wasn't really informed. Um, and they said, you know, I said a bit about kind of what it was about. And they said, OK, well, you know, I don't think you need any therapy or any kind of mental health support. But here's here's a an LGBT organization. I think it was actually a gay, a gay men's organization. And you can go to them and like they can kind of, you know, speak with you. And that just crushed me inside because, number one, the the healthcare provider, the person who's supposed to be supporting me, is saying, you're gay. And second of all, they're saying, you don't merit proper mental health support. This is just a gay thing. And I just, that was a really 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 low point for me uh I went to the center and they were you know lovely people but actually not able to help um but eventually I managed to 
kind of go back to the GP and just say, no, this isn't working, like, please come. And I eventually managed to access some proper support. And um, I still think that the therapist I saw was uh, perhaps uh, LGBT plus as well, but he never, uh, we had a great connection and he got it. So thank goodness for him. But yeah, it was, mm, it didn't, yeah. didn't come up that word, really. I wasn't anywhere near that space yet. The word was missing, um, and if it had come up, things might have clicked. If somebody had said to you, you know, have you thought about the fact that you've got these issues and different things, and actually you might be bisexual, it might have helped you at that point, might it? I think so. Um, certainly, if there were podcasts like yours, um, and there were people like yourselves, um, like some of the other people who are kind of, you know, speaking very very clearly and very inspiringly now if there was kind of that conversation happening at that time then I think that would have been transformative for me um but whether it was happening at the time and I just wasn't aware of it or whether you know we just weren't there yet as a society um I just wasn't hearing any of those messages um and i just i considered bisexual to be you know someone who's on the stepping stone towards being gay and that was what people thought and that was what it was so looking back on that we'll go into a bit more detail about your relationships and various other things in a moment, but looking back on that now when now you're 32 and this was when you were in your teens so it's like you know half your life ago kind of thing um do you regret that? I mean, do you think that not having that support at that age when you were going through such an emotional period in your life and there was nobody there to say, you know what, you could be bisexual, this is what it's about, this is another area of, of you know, defining yourself, that there are people out there, you know, come along and meet some other bisexuals, you know, that kind of thing. Because you didn't have that, do you think that has had a detrimental effect I mean, I, I know you're doing very well, you've got a great job and all the rest of it, but do you think that's had a detrimental effect on the rest of your life up to now? Do you think there are th- certain things you would have done before? You know, what impact do you think not having that direct support at that age has had on your life since then? Yeah, and thank you for these questions because they're they're really important questions. Um, absolutely, yes. You know, if I had had that understanding of what, the bi community actually is the understanding of you know the fact that you can you can fit into it it's not necessarily 50 50 and it's a diverse label and you know and it can include fluid and kind of questioning people and all kinds of different things and to actually have people in my life role models or even just people who I knew who were bi or who I could meet, I cannot begin to imagine how impactful that would have been. And yeah, it would have been a much easier road. Certainly it has affected me a lot. Um, I tend not to look back with regret because I think it's something that a lot of people go through. And um, there were many beautiful parts of my life and that experience, which I wouldn't change, but um, goodness me, I absolutely wish. <laughs> and, and that's what I'm doing now. 
that's what I'm devoting my life to really is trying to be that person for young people or you know anyone in that situation that's why I'm speaking with you today so yeah it, it would make a change absolutely absolutely and um well we'll talk a bit more about that and what you're hoping to achieve yourself and and, and we'll talk, look about look at that in a moment but going back again to your your relationships and things so you had that period um which is quite dramatic when you're when you're young younger in teenage years um you obviously ended up think you went to university i think so is that right did you go to university you went to university mm. you met people at university what was your first serious relationship and was was it with a a girl or a boy a man or a woman well, i've never had a relationship with a guy um but the first i guess the mm, Depends how we define serious relationship. I had a, a girlfriend uh, in my first year of university um, who I cared about very much. And yeah, that was probably the first kind of, I guess, adult relationship that I had. And did you at any point in that relationship um, mention to her that um, you also thought you had a an attraction to men as well as women? I actually did but only <laughs> when we broke up um and it was kind of it, it it was it was very kind of vague and it was very brief and um part of the reason why we broke up um sadly was because i was actually having difficulties with like erectile dysfunction and you know it was such a shame because we had a lovely relationship um she was great and we loved each other but when it came to that physical part um I suffered from so much anxiety linked to everything that I was going to of course you know, years of this stigma and these stereotypes and this kind of pressure and shame and all the rest of it um, that, that I really struggled. Um, uh, and it frustrated me so much. And she was so lovely about it. But, you know, I we ended up uh, ending it. And um, I kind of said at the end, you know... <laughs> you know, I don't want you to think that this is kind of about you. You know, I've got, I've been having like real kind of depression and anxiety about X, Y, Z. So it was kind of that. Um, but really, I didn't discuss it at all with any partners um, until I met my wife um, years and years after. Did your girlfriend at that time, the one, the first one you're talking about, did she, when you mentioned this to her, did she respond to it? Did she say um, I th she thought that that was the case, or did, did how did she respond to what you were saying? You were telling her. Um, she, you know, I always say, as a <laughs> as a as a man, I, I always say that women have surprised me no end. I think we have a lot of expectations as to what women want from us. Um, and actually 
a lot of the time I'm blown out of the park by how much that just kind of isn't true a lot of the time. So she was just totally, totally fine with it. She was just like, well, it's not a problem to me. Like, I don't, I don't mind. But it was, it was such an issue for me. I was in such a bad place that it was really me saying, look, I, I'm, I'm not ready to have, that I can't, I thought I was ready to have a relationship, but I'm just not in, the, I can't do this. So she was great. I was not. <laughs> and, and and with the issue of the erectile dysfunction side of things, um, did that leave you then questioning whether or not you were actually indeed attracted to women or not? Was that a question that came up? Were you thinking, I'm not sure, you know, whether I am actually attracted? Did, did, did you get dilemmas like that? Or, or did you know you were attracted to women, but it was a thing about the the whole thing about masculinity and feeling right in the circumstances. What was what was going on, do you think, at that point? Yeah, it all played in. It wasn't as kind of clear-cut as that, but it all just kind of played into this weird, confusing mishmash of feelings that I was having. Funnily enough, I had had sexual experiences with females before that and not had a problem so it was you know a question of well is this because I really really care about this person you know is this because it's you know a woman that I'm in relationship with or is it completely unrelated to my sexuality is it just literally something to do with me and her that you know a straight person would have and you know I know a lot of people suffer from it from time to time and or is it, you know, that I'm having these difficulties because, you know, like my first girlfriend at, at school, you know, is it that again coming up again because it's someone I love? And and I'm glad that you bring up this question because something which has plagued my mind and something which I'm truly, truly angry about is that society puts these conundrums on us. Like, society forces us to try to work out, am I actually straight? Or am I actually gay? Am I somehow really bisexual, but I'm in denial? Am I actually valid as... You know, and that whole questioning cycle is so unbelievably traumatic and toxic. And the the crazy thing about it is that it's impossible to answer because these labels don't actually exist. Like, there's no one thing that is gay. Like, it's not a category that you can look under a microscope at someone's cells and be like, ah, yes, they are gay. It's just a word that people use to describe generally what they are. It's like bisexual. People come to me through my support site. I kind of counsel and mentor people who are struggling with their identity. And they're like, I think I'm gay, but how do I know? Or I think I'm bi, but how do you know if you're bi? And just like, well there's no rules to it like you're not and so 
this is something which truly traumatized me as I was growing up, and I know it still does for people. Like, I had erectile dysfunction in that particular relationship at that particular time because I did. It, it Does it mean X, Y, Z about me? No. Like, it was just what I was going through at that time. It's, com- it's complex. Life is complex. Relationships are complex. Human beings are complex. And I think that's one of the problems, isn't it? That, that, that society doesn't seem to be able to that deal with complexity and we're all complex creatures. Did you um, then, I know you say you never had a relationship with a, uh, with a man, but did you start to have sexual encounters with men in your early 20s or whatever? When, when did you first have a, a sexual encounter with a man? I had some kind of weird <laughs> fumbles uh, when I was in kind of late secondary school. But the first kind of proper sexual encounter I had was actually after that relationship ended um, towards the end of my first year at university. And what did you feel about that at that time? Because this was this was new to you in a way. It was, you know, you, you were exploring another area that you'd not actually properly explored. You'd been sort of wanting to I suppose but not got around to it and you were starting to how did it make you feel because as you say society wants you to fit you into little boxes and things did you end up having these encounters and then thinking well that was great then I must be I must be gay then and then suddenly you turn around and fancy a woman and think well that's not the case really you know how did it did it did it confuse you even more is what I'm trying to say so it didn't confuse me I think with a lot of bi people who I meet, it, it, it's the same. It's like experimenting or having relationships with people of different genders doesn't necessarily kind of change your sexuality. So my, I guess, it, it didn't change the way I felt about anything, actually having encounters. It it just was an experience. I always knew that I had a degree of attraction to men or the masculine. And when I acted upon that, that kind of remained. And it's kind of, that's been the way it was. So it didn't really change, but it, um, it, what it what it solidified i think what it confirmed i think was that i had mainly physical attractions to men so i wouldn't describe myself as kind of biromantic um and really that kind of confirmed it for me i didn't feel you know that's that side of things when I started meeting guys. That's interesting, and it's something that we've explored a little bit. Uh, Nikki and I uh, did a program a few years ago in which we went to meet a, a group of people in a, a bisexual group in in the Midlands. And and when I say bisexual group, you know these 
groups of people, you know, there isn't really a bi community, to be fair. These groups of people are, it's very rare to find a group of bisexuals together anywhere. Um, it's very hard to find people who identify as bisexual, really, in a way, even though we know, you and I know there are plenty of people out there, but they're not able to speak out. But, um, you know, what was enlightening about being in that room was that the amount of people who came to us and talked to us about about the different shades of their loosely you know their bisexuality in the sense that there were blokes who were really really emotionally attached to other men but were more interested in having sex with a woman um there were others that were you know the other way around you know it's, uh, sex with a man was really important but actually they wanted to settle down with a woman and that is a real complex area isn't it to to explain to people in the general mainstream of life really um because the norm as what is presented to us all around the world is that you get yourself into a uh relationship whether it be heterosexual homosexual or whatever whereby you commit to somebody through emotions and sexuality as well so as well as being able to explain to people that the people are attracted to people of different genders and can be attracted to both genders or several genders or whatever, <laughs> we've got this other thing, which is about trying to explain to people that your identity as somebody who's bisexual or not defining or whatever can be also multifaceted. And, and you know, you... You've set up a, a YouTube um, channel and various things called um, Not Defining, which which is interesting, um, which I, I presume one of the reasons why you're doing that is because it, to an extent, is the best way of describing yourself. I don't know if that... I'm, I'm sure that's probably the, probably the reason for it. And you're thinking that there must be people out there. Do you think, you know, when we look back at things like the Kinsey scale, which was, was often talked about when we you know, looked at... Um, what people were sexually on a particular scale back in the 1950s. He often talked as well about, Alfred Kinsey talked about sexuality changing through life as well. Do you think there is something in that? Do you think that's something in that for you? Do you feel as though your journey, we're calling it a bisexual journey here, but do you feel as though there's been peaks and troughs in terms of who and what you've been attracted to and in what way, whether it be sexually or emotionally or whatever? You know, is there something in that? Absolutely, there is. And you've hit the nail on the head when you <laughs> you said that not defining is about that being the best way to describe me uh, and some other people. Not defining is a platform across uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram um, at not defining. We're basically, the idea of it is a space where anybody can come with no judgment, no labels, no kind of pressure, no moral agenda, um, any identity, any any gender or sexuality or background that you are, if you are struggling with your sexuality, if you are having problems, if you are experiencing a sexuality or an orientation or a gender which doesn't quite fit within any box, or if you're kind of struggling to come to terms with uh, any kind of questions around it, then it's a space where people can come and really kind of understand what's going on for them and find a place where they kind of fit best. And you mentioned 
the the kind of differences between sex and sexuality and kind of romance or you know who you might want to have a relationship with um and that's really something that i have connected with because you know we we are all unique beings and we all have a different way of expressing intimacy love arousal fantasy relationship um affection um dominance subdominance um you know kind of excitement and joy and closeness and all of these things make up our identity they make up our orientation they make up how we relate with other human beings um and how we then present in front of other human beings and so that's a really complex area and it's something that like you said we're just expected to just understand and all of those things are expected to work in a specific way towards one specific gender all of the time and that's it <laughs> and the reality is as we've seen through amazing studies like you know, the Kinsey scale and YouGov and like all of the amazing research that's been done is that that just is not the case for people. People have many, many wonderful, colorful, diverse ways of expressing uh, all of those different things. You know, even heterosexual people have amazingly different roles and ways of showing love and, you know, ideas about what romance means to them and what a relationship means to them and you know, all different kinds of things. So we're all in this space and it has definitely changed for me over the course of my life. I identify very closely with um, fluid, um, not in terms of my gender per se, but in terms of my sexuality. It has changed massively. It's changed over the course of my life it sometimes changes over the course of a day, multiple times. And so I think there's a bit of a taboo about this, and rightly so, because unfortunately we've had to fight for our kind of uh, civil rights as queer people and say, you know, it's not a choice, it can't change, this is who we are and that's it. And that's a very important message, which I support, but also we need to understand that these things are fluid for some people and they do change and also sometimes people can get really confused and kind of in a bad place about it when they don't quite kind of connect or certain bits of their identity just aren't kind of aligning for them and so what not defining is about is about kind of having a space to talk about those things share experiences connect with each other and hopefully come to understand how all the bits of you work so that you can kind of feel confident and also perhaps, you know, find a partner if that's something that you want. So that's my long rambling way of saying, yes, absolutely, everything you said is right. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll come back to that in a moment. And the, and the non -defi not defining versus bisexual term in a moment. But before that, you said that... Um, you're in a relationship now uh, with a woman and you've been open with her about 
all of these kind of things. Just tell us a little bit about that. You know, we're very lucky, um, Nikki, Lewis and I, to be in loving relationships with people who understand us. Um, tell us a little bit about the relationship you have with your uh, partner and um, how she um, fits into all this and how she defines herself or how she reacted to you when you first told her about all of this kind of thing. You know, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, I'm so glad that you are in loving relationships because it fills my heart with joy when I hear about by people finding that special person. Um, and I am so lucky to have found that special person myself. Um, I'm married to the love of my life, who happens to be female. Um, and I met her on Tinder. <laughs> and uh, I fell in love with her the minute that I laid eyes on her. Uh, and that love has evolved into devotion, which has evolved into commitment and evolved into just an incredibly deep connection uh, that we both share. And it's always transcended gender, sex, sexuality, physicality, politics, roles. It, it, like when we met each other, something clicked. And that is a beautiful, magical thing, which no one can ever define. <laughs> and um, I just thank my lucky stars every day that I kept going long enough to find her. Um, I knew that I wanted to be open with her because I realized that this could really be someone that I was going to spend my life with. And she showed me very early on that she was an open and kind of informed and loving, kind person. So um, that was great. But I was still pretty much convinced that once I did tell her about myself, that it would cause a problem and she'd probably leave me. Because that's what, you know, young men get told. You know, you can't you can't be queer as a man and be with a woman. It just, they're just not going to want that. Um, so anyway, I plucked up the courage to do it. I was shaking, I was trembling. I, you know, have never been <laughs> more terrified in my life. And I said to her, I said to her, um, so have you ever made out with a girl before or anything? just wondering. Um, and uh, she said, yeah, loads of times. Why have you ever made out with a guy? And I was like, um, uh, yeah, maybe. And what she said next changed my life forever. <laughs> because it was so unexpected. What she said next was, Oh my gosh, really? Oh, that is so hot. Tell me everything. <laughs> or something to that degree. And what was really amazing about that was not only that she was completely accepting of it, 
but she was also incredibly unbothered by it. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I accept that, you know, we can deal with that, it's fine, but it's an issue. You know, she just wasn't even bothered. And also that she actually found that to be sexy. And for the first time in my life, as a man, I felt sexy towards a woman, not only as a man, but as a man who has been with other men. So my whole sexuality and my whole being was was being deemed as attractive and that blew me away and so you know we I didn't even I didn't define as bi or I didn't you know I didn't I didn't define as anything I I didn't know how to articulate my sexuality at that point I wasn't even there yet but just the fact that I was a man who had had some experiences with men and to be accepted was Amazing. And we went from there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, now of course, put that in reverse, of course. Um, it does often happen, I think, within um, relationships the other way around, where women will admit to their straight partners that they're into other women or have done things with other women. And, of course, guys will react, often will react and say, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, could we arrange a threesome, blah, 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 blah. That often often does happen. And, but that, is, that has come to be quite a negative thing, hasn't it? Because it's seen that um, men generally just see that as a, as a se- exploitation kind of thing. You know, it's women together and the, you know, so, they're, they're, so, so that women who are seeking out relationships with other women often don't get taken seriously because it's seen as just a play thing for, for men. But I think you're right. For those of us who are in a situation like you're, you are, as you know, somebody who is non-defining or bisexual or whatever, um, to feel that actually a woman might find two men attractive, uh, sexually attractive, that means a hell of a lot. It's sort of, um, you're right. I mean, if somebody had said that to me, I, I it would have exactly exactly as it did with you blown my mind. I'd think, oh my god, that's amazing that a woman should think that. Um, so uh, yeah, but it, but these are the thing, things we're talking about here are things that don't get discussed. You know, people don't talk about these things, do they? You know what I mean? It's it's quite it's quite irritating, really, that we've got to 2021, and it's only now that we're all starting to have these conversations. So when it comes to men and women in a, and you know, I understand you 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 describe yourself as not defining um but and, and in a way bisexuality is a bit like that anyway because no you know so many people are differing degrees of different things so i suppose in a way bisexual people can't be defined it's just that i think we feel a lot of us feel as though having the word helps people to an extent to understand where we're coming from and to be honest it's a word that often gets erased completely from the discourse do you know what I mean often you'll hear fluid more than you'll hear bisexual so people can never get in the head that 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 it's, there's a legitimate sexuality out there that people can actually be attracted to different things and I think we think Nikki I and Lewis and I think that that's a problem because um, it means that more and more people are continuing to stay in the closet, you know, moral people are coming out and, and saying they're bisexual in surveys and whatever. But I think there are a lot of people who are in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 
and beyond who's probably spent their entire lives being bisexual but haven't been able to be open and imagine what what that's done to mental health you know what i mean so um so the, the, there's all all that issue there what, what so when it comes down to it this is a pure sexual question now i suppose or even emotional question as well it could be both how do you at this moment in time because <laughs> you said it changes by the day or by the hour um at this moment in time how do you see your your sexuality how do you do you do you sort of you know is it Obviously, you've got your your partner who's very important to you, and you know the the major part of your life, and you're attracted to her. But generally, how would you see your yourself on a scale at the moment? You know what I mean? Is it something whereby you know you if a you know if a big hunky bloke walked in the room now, you'd have to get rid of this phone call and go and enjoy yourself, or what? What you know? <laughs> tell me, tell me how we define yourself at this moment i know you're non-defining but go on have a go at trying to define yourself in this moment in time no i like i i really before this interview uh i said to you you know ask whatever you want because i really like it when we get to the detail you know we can talk in general generalities and that's fine but i think it's it's always nice to hear from people personally um impossible question to answer but i'll have a go um so I think the majority of my headspace, as it were, it is kind of wrapped up with my connection with my wife, um, just because that's, it, it's always been for me, uh, like I said before, uh, the thing that just kind of fits right for me, the thing that fulfills me, the thing that kind of affirms my gender identity and kind of really just clicks nicely for me uh, and then of course the fact that we are in a relationship which is so strong and so loving and so open um you know that just takes up a huge amount of my spectrum um with her but the funny thing is that in a way that connection being so open it, it's now like I mentioned briefly uh, at the beginning, it's now kind of transcended gender and it's transcended sex and sexuality because, you know, we just see each other kind of as two people. And I accept that I have um, certain attractions to men. Um, it, it's quite specific I'm quite picky <laughs> um, as to what kind of man and what he would have to be and what kind of situation. Um, you know, I definitely still just, I could never really conceive of a relationship with a man. And that's not just because I'm married, but it's just, I, I, I just, it, I don't, it kind of wouldn't, it, it doesn't really, it's never clicked for me that, but um, I've actually come to accept more of the emotional aspects of um, of that male-to-male -male side. Um, you know, so it's not so one-dimensional anymore. Um, I've accepted, you know, that I have a a drawing to like like masculine paternal intimacy, and that that's something that it's okay for me to 
kind of need and, and want affection. Like masculine affection is like something that I'm okay with needing, whether it's physical or kind of emotional. Um, so I, I have that as a force in my life. Um, funnily enough, it's it's more kind of in terms of like an older or kind of more dominant masculine presence. So, um, you know, it would be a kind of, I don't know how to describe it, probably like a kind of a top, if you're going to use like that terminology. Um, I don't, I mean, I hardly have any kind of attraction towards, um, I guess, uh, guys who you would describe as like a bottom or that it's, it's more for me like that, that safe, like warm, like masculine intimacy um, th- th- that I feel drawn to. Um, so it's become more emotional, less physical. It's kind of shifted um, towards, you know, that side. And then as I've accepted that, as I've accepted that and those more it's not the right word, but maybe the more kind of feminine aspects, um, the more receptive aspects of my sexuality, um, it's actually made me much more connected to Vic because she um, she defines as queer herself. But again, she's a bit like me. You know, she wears it lightly. She kind of doesn't mind what labels. She's kind of just who she is. But she has a lot of masculine aspects to her. And she has a lot of like, you know, there's just, there's there's this whole spectrum of both of us. Um, And as we have accepted our whole sexuality um, and like been okay with it all, it's brought our connection closer. So... I kind of accept it all now. It's all, it just all kind of just goes around in the air. And <laughs> I have no idea whether that made sense. But it, it, of course it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. But it doesn't really make sense to me. And I think that's okay as well. It's weird, but. Yeah, well, that, that's, yeah. Like, yeah we're, 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 as I said before, complex and we're conundrums, aren't we? And sometimes we, surpri- yeah. we we all surprise ourselves sometimes, don't we? Um, one of the issues that I've always had throughout life, um, not so much now, but I did when I was younger, was the issue of jealousy. I was always somebody who could get jealous quite easily. Not not necessarily in relationships, but definitely I've I've been had jealousy in relationships, the green eyed monster, but also in friendships and you know, in family and various things, just little niggles, little things there. And I had to control it. And now I don't get jealous in any way, shape or form these days. But in my younger years, it was was quite hard. It was quite difficult. And obviously, um, that kind of thing does play into relationships, doesn't it? So you might have this great closeness with your, your, your partner and understanding and all the rest of it. But when it comes to maybe the issue of acting on that, doing something about that, and let's face it, you know, you're 32, I'm 48, um, you know, Nikki and Nikki's in her 30s, and Lewis is in his late 20s. We're all, you know, we've all got lives ahead of us. Um, again, Nikki, Lewis and I haven't had properly had this conversation yet, but we are going to at one of the programmes. You know, 
do we put the barrier down? Is that it? Are we monogamous relationships and don't want sexual relations with anybody else again? You know, there's this whole thing on in bisexuality whereby everyone thinks everyone is bisexual is at it anyway constantly. And of course, a lot of people, most people aren't. Um, equally, there are lots of people who are gay and straight who are enjoying themselves constantly. You know what I mean? So it's it's these stereotypes that that don't quite fit into the reality. What about for you in terms of going forward? Do you think, you know, it's something or have you, you know, you and your partner, can you experiment and do things with other people? Will you be allowed both of you to go and explore other parts of your sexuality? Have you had that conversation or is that something that you've not got to yet? I think it's a really important topic and an, an interesting one. Uh, the answer is yes, we've had that conversation. Um, and I mean, for me, m- like my commitment and my marriage to Vic is as it would be for anyone else. So um, that's just kind of the way it is between us and she's the same. So that's kind of it. The interesting thing, um, which has kind of come up, is that, and I don't really know kind of what people would think of this, but it's something we kind of just clicked on, is that, funnily enough, the thought of... <laughs> so <laughs> so the thought of me getting with another woman in any way, shape or form would fill Vic with a loathsome rage and would be something that would be completely horrendous and unacceptable for her. Similarly, the thought of Vic getting with another guy or even so much as <laughs> thinking about it, fills me with this kind of primal rage that I just could not even begin to control. And both of those things are very natural for us. And so for both of us, it's very natural to respect that in the other person. And so I would never dream of, you know, I just it doesn't even come into my psyche to... Um, to think about that um, as it doesn't for her. And the interesting thing, though, is that for me, the thought of her, if she wanted to make out with the girl or she even wanted to, you know, do something further or what have you with, with a female, is kind of a really, really different feeling for me. It doesn't fill me with that same negativity and actually I'd be kind of open to that and you know have expressed that to her is it something that turns you on (sighs) that's an interesting question um I think that so for us I think our our kind of sexual life is something that we kind of are fairly private about, um, which is kind of weird because we talk quite openly about our sexuality. Um, what we do and with whom is probably something we don't talk about a lot, but um, it's something that I would, I would be like open to her doing if she wanted to. And similarly for me, she has said, you know, 
if I wanted to do that with a guy, she would be absolutely fine with it. Um, you know, I think for both of us, contingent on, you know, we're not going to kind of like run away with that person. But that really interested me in the fact that our approaches to the, the, the different genders are so different. So I think that's something for kind of bisexual people is really interesting because it's, you know, there's, there's layers, there's different, there's different layers. So in one way, monogamy is monogamy and it's just the same as kind of straight relationships. In another way, there's this kind of other layer when you bring in another gender to it and it's not always the exact same feeling. Um, so we're very open, but the funny thing is that in being so open and allowing, neither of us have, you know, any real desire to kind of like act on that or do that. So it's quite a nice place to be. It's like, we know we could, but we we don't, um, but we respect each other. But she did say when you admitted the fact that you've been with blokes, she said that was hot. So yeah. I assume that's gone through her mind a few times here and there um, as something which, you know, maybe... Maybe you should uh, maybe you should try it. <laughs> she she might enjoy it. <laughs> well, so the funny, the, what's really interesting to me is that Vic has always been much more accepting of my sexuality than I have been. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to say that I have suffered from incredible kind of internalized queer phobia uh, throughout my life, and it's it's a a lifelong thing to break down and there's still parts of it with me like you know she is completely fine uh with a lot of things and I'm still like no I don't you know I don't feel comfortable with that um so it's interesting she's teaching me to accept myself um which is a lovely way around um and that's the ultimate form of love I, I I always think and the other thing um the other funny thing is that I know a lot of bi people get this you know people think we're promiscuous and out you know getting with everyone all the time and it's so funny because anyone who kind of knows me personally will know um and knows Vic actually will know that we are just <laughs> like so not those people and we talk about sexuality a lot but like talking about sex and all of this, even doing it with you now, I'm just like, I'm just not that person. And so the idea of threesomes and experimentation and all of this, I'm just like, that is just, I cannot think of anything worse, honestly. You did say to me at the beginning, you could ask me anything. So there you go. <laughs> no, no, but no, but it's good because, you know, it's, it's asking me something which I'm like, Bleh. and that's something that, you know, is real. So at the end of the day, that as we've said all along in this conversation, there are so many expectations of what things should and shouldn't be. Mm. I mean, let's face it, you know, um, there are lots of people who get into relationships and those relationships might be sexual at the beginning, but um, in the long term, they sex might not feature in those relationships much, much at all. But actually, that person that that person ends up with is still the most important person in their life. You know what I mean? He doesn't, it's it sort of, 
But but there will be people, won't there, who and I know I know certainly there's gay men I know who once the sex wears off have questioned the whole relationship and um you know have ended ended relationships and things like that. And I'm sure that happens a lot with straight men who you know, suddenly find that they're not having sex with their wife anymore or whatever. You know, we, we define everything, don't we, in particular ways that there's an expectation that it must be like this or that or the other. And actually, sensuality and affection is sometimes more important to people than sex is, isn't it? I mean, sex is quite a messy thing, let's face it. You know what I mean? It's quite, it's a, bit, it's a, bit, a bit annoying sometimes, actually, it gets in the way, you know, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think it's interesting that you've set up this thing called non defining not defining um and we've obviously alongside this we've we've done been doing bisexual brunch now for about a year and i think both of them fill certain gaps there do you understand the need for people though to um you know what while um i hate labels in, in many ways but while we i hate labels and i think nikki and lewis would say they both hate labels in many ways as well do you understand the need for people to understand that there are people out there as who are bisexual do you think the net the term bisexual is a valid term and is important to explore and have that out there in the conversation because i've had situations whereby uh, in the world i work in where i've put ideas forward about bisexuality and you get people coming back to you and the people who are the powers that be who commission things in different places who will say nobody bisexuality isn't a thing it's everyone's fluid now everyone's fluid now it's all non, you know what i mean so it's like it's as though we've bypassed it what's your take on that why why do you think it is that the word bisexual seems to be a problem for the mainstream uh i am absolutely 100% the biggest bi advocate um, and I define very very strongly and very firmly in the bi bi plus community um, I you know I, I have my bi coloured flags um, I constantly name drop bi celebrities when they come on TV I am just the loudest and the proudest um, member of the bi community and I absolutely love my bi family and it's an extremely important and empowering label to me. Um, I absolutely recognise and respect the need for labels. I wish that we didn't need them and I hope that we are moving into a world where we need them less or that they kind of can just exist without so much questioning and, um, you know, so much hostility and politics around them. Um, but I think as well with any community that's been marginalised, um, and this applies to so many different communities, um, not just in the LGBT space, but elsewhere, you know, you you, ha you have the label because it's political. You're fighting for your rights. Um, and we are absolutely still fighting for our rights. You know, bi people suffer um, disproportionately from you know, a whole range of mental health issues like 
so many of us have been excluded from our families and our communities all around the world. It's just not understood. So by visibility is so important. And if you come to not defining, um, you'll see that I do a whole load of uh, by visibility, uh, talking about biphobia and all the rest of it. Um, but as with any um, community, there will be you know, other communities and other labels and other sub-identities that will come um, and say, you know, well, what about us? Um, and of course, you know, it's it's super important just to accept, you know, everyone's way of of expressing themselves and identifying really. So um, I know there's, you know, a lot of kind of battles between pansexual and bisexual and do they invalidate each other? And I just have zero time for that. Um, I love the bi community. I love the pan community. I love, you know, people who are questioning and what have you. I think, though, finally, what I'll say is that one thing that we must always remember is that most bi people are not out. Most bi people do not define as bi. As we saw on the Kinsey scale, it's something ridiculous like one in four people are somewhere on the bi spectrum. Like, most people are bi. <laughs> but only a tiny proportion of those actually use the label. And I think that we can actually forget those other people exist um, by kind of sticking to the identities and the flags and the colours and the terminology. And actually, part of the point of not defining is to speak to those wider kind of set of people and just say, look, you don't have to use a label, you don't have to identify, but these issues might affect you. So that's kind of where I come at it. But, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for Visibility Day. I can't wait to drape myself in my navy purple and fuchsia uh a pride and yeah absolutely love it what's the best thing about being bisexual being bi um and being a member of the lgbtq plus community has been pretty not nice for most of my life um there's not been very many nice things about it and i'm quite safe in saying that I've spent a huge part of my life just wishing I could have been straight. I think like a lot of us, it would have made life so much easier. What I would say, though, is that having had this experience of being a marginalised part of society and all of the discrimination and the prejudice and the, the fighting and the battling that I've had to do to kind of navigate my way through that. It's really taught me a lot about what's important in life. And apart from being LGBT, pretty much every other characteristic about me is immensely privileged. I mean, I'm white, I'm male, I'm cisgender, I'm kind of middle class, I'm a native English speaker, uh, you know, I, I'm able-bodied. I'm incredibly privileged in almost every other way. And actually the experience of being a queer person living in society has truly opened my eyes to, um, you know, what it's like to be marginalised, what it's like 
to be oppressed. And although I will never truly understand what it's like to be a member of other marginalized communities, it's just really given me like an empathy um, and a and a real passion to kind of stand with other communities uh, in their fight for equality and recognition. And I think that's something that I wouldn't quite have the same level of like passion and understanding if I hadn't been a part of this marginalized community. So I feel in a way, <laughs> no one wants to be part of an oppressed community. Like, let's be honest, but, but being so has really given me um, something that I would never be able to see. So in my, in all of my um, advocacy and all of my um, work, uh, I always remember that there are people who have suffered way, way, way more than me and who face way bigger challenges than me. So I always kind of remember to lift them up and to try and give them a platform as well. And that, you know, that solidarity just, I think is one of the nicest things to come out of um, of being bi. Mark, that's brilliant. Lovely to talk to you. It's got dark the way you are now. It has, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. I am a journalist and broadcaster and I'm 37 years old. I live in London with my husband. I'm originally from West Yorkshire. About five years ago, I had a single episode of psychosis which led to suicidal ideation. I'm Devon Rees and this is Life Matters. Our very own Nikki opens up to the new groundbreaking Life Matters podcast. Now that I'm older and I look back, I think in my teens, I was beginning to realise that I was bisexual, but I couldn't put a name to it. There were definitely relationships that I had with girls growing up that were more than just friendships, but I couldn't really put my finger on what they were. On top of all this angst, all this pressure that I was under, you know, to perform, I wasn't really able to be myself. I certainly felt like I can't live like this anymore. Our aim with these shows is to discuss solutions and raise awareness of very important issues which touches many of us. This is Life Matters with actor Dovan Rees. Listen within your podcast provider by searching for Life Matters and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. Yeah, so Bisexual Brunch continues uh, here with uh, Lewis Oakley, Nikki Hodgson, and with me, uh, Ashley Burns. So, um, our topic uh, for the end of the show this week is unrequited love. Um, how do we deal with it? Do we deal with it well or not? Um, and we'll talk about our own little stories in a moment. But the reason I thought about bringing this up was because I thought it was an area that, again, very rarely gets talked about. And you do hear of stories of people, you know, being horrified by somebody fancied them and they didn't fancy they didn't fancy them back or whatever. And and I feel as though it's got more it's got worse recently actually, where people it, it seems to be a it seems to be a crime for anybody to fancy somebody who doesn't fancy them back kind of thing. And um particularly I find around gay men, actually, and women often, um, I tend to be more horrified. Um and and I think to myself often 
I think to myself, why do we, what is all this about? And, you know, why do we seem to have an issue with um, people fancying each other and it not being, not being, you know, it being unrequited? And I'm not talking about the issue of stalking and it going really far. And I've had situations where people have been literally obsessed with me, you know, when I was younger. Um, I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm talking just generally about the whole thing of, you know, can you end up being a friend with somebody, for example, who, um, you know, fancies you and you don't fancy them? Um, you know, or is it literally you're not going to get, you know, there's no way it can work. And also on the bisexual sense side of things, is there another element at play here? Is it, more, is it even more difficult if you're in that situation when you're bisexual and people see you in a particular way in a particular light um so let's let's talk about that just from a, first of all just from a personal perspective first of all um looking at the the you know the, the people that you situations where you that you've been in where you've had a crush on somebody and clearly the person is not interested in any way shape or form how have you dealt with that and how did they deal with it and then on the other side of it when somebody's had a crush on you how have you responded and how have you dealt with it and vice versa? Um, let's start with you, Nikki. Mm, this is a really interesting topic. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because I was reminded of the fact that at university, I had a boyfriend whom I met in the first term of, uh, of uni and he was just a friend, but I fancied him. And I was determined by the end of the year that I would make him my boyfriend. And so I did. So I basically wouldn't accept that my love was unrequited and I forced myself into a relationship with him. And how did that go down? Really well. We were together for about three, four years. But then I ended up going off with his best friend or something. I can't remember now. It, I mean, it didn't end well. It didn't end well. But it was interesting that I, I, I just sat my sights on someone and thought, oh, he's probably kind of out of my league, but I'm going like, to commit to going after him anyway. And it seemed to work out. Well, isn't that just part of the whole chase thing in a way? And also people can grow on people, can't they? But did, did you grow on him or was it still unrequited really at the end of it? No, I definitely grew on him. And I bas- but I basically plotted a way to get into his life so that he would have to get to know me. Because I was so convinc- <laughs> convinced it would be a good match. I know how hellishly stalkerishly shit and weird this sounds. But I was just convinced that we, got, we, we would be a good couple. And so we were. But um, in terms of unrequited love, yeah, I had, I think I told you this story before that I had this crush on this older girl when I was about nine, ten, and she was about 13, and she used to, like, give me her Prince tapes to listen to, and I just thought she was the most beautiful thing in the world. She had, like, lovely, dark, curly hair. And anyway, we, I went to a different school, and we never saw each other again. But then many years later, when I went to university, and I went to open a bank account, she was the woman, the cashier behind the... Uh, the stand opening the account for me and she didn't remember me at all and I remember looking at her and thinking wow she'd really kind of like she's not aged particularly well she'd obviously she'd be really bright and like not used her potential in that the areas that she wanted to use it not there's anything working wrong with working in a bank I, I knew that's not what she wanted to do even when she was a kid and um, it was just a real moment of reckoning like this person all of a sudden just completely faded away from from having been somebody that was once unrequited that, that's interesting. And what about on the, the the other side, though, in terms of people who've taken a big interest in you, um, maybe in later years? I mean, have you had situations where you've had to really, you know, deal with that in a particular way? Or 
Yeah, normally get the police involved. I've had that happen several times, actually. Um, in particular, with one of my exes who, six years after splitting up, was still sending me these very outrageous emails. Um, so I basically had to get a court order against him. Uh, but uh, was it unrequited love? You see, I don't think it was. I think that like he felt that there was unfinished business and he felt jilted and annoyed. I don't actually feel that he had any genuine love for me whatsoever. Have there been any other situations? Not obviously that's quite serious, as you say, but have there been any other situations whereby you've just realised, you know, there's some guy or some girl or whatever who, who does fancy you. You know, there's a bit of flirting going on or whatever. She's, they're trying. That It's obvious that they like that they like you. Um, and, you know, or they've they've not necessarily come on to you, but at least reveal, maybe revealed that they like you. Um, have you had any situations like that? And if so, have you, have, how have you managed to deal with it? And did you manage to carry on being friends with them? Mm, not really, because you know what it's to do with? Because I used to be a sex worker. For a long time after that, people would have crushes on me or fantasies about doing certain things that I might have publicly written about or something like that. But I never felt that any of them were respectful, so I didn't really consider it unrequited love or not even unrequited lust. It was just kind of like they think they thought I was somehow sexually available or accessible to them because of how open I was. So I always found that kind of insulting. So it's not the same thing. No, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Lewis, what about you? What's your what's your take on this? How, how have you? How you know? If people had, let's do it the opposite around. If people had crushes on you, and how have you dealt with it? Um, I mean, yeah, but here's the thing. I wouldn't say it's unrequited love. I would say it's unrequited lust. Well, lust. Then. So there's yeah, a okay. there's a big difference there, right? So I don't have any any big stories around. You know, we were in love, and it just wasn't meant to be. It, it's more like you know, we were going to go to bed together and for for various reasons it didn't happen. Either they weren't interested in me or I wasn't interested in them. Or as I was kind of racking my brain trying to think of examples, a lot of it came down to logistics. Like they were out of the country, the, the, I was out of the country when they were in the country. I mean, it's, it's quite tough. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not that much of an intense person. Like if someone's not interested in me, like I'm not, I'm not too bothered about it. There's been one or two here or there where I'm like, oh, but what could have been? But I think that's the problem about unrequited love in general, right? It's it's because the majority of the time it's untapped potential. So you have painted this rosy image in your head of what this is all going to look like. Then it doesn't happen. So then you're kind of like continuing to think of this dream scenario of how it could have been. The reality would not have been like that. And, and we all know that from, you know, being with people in relationships anyway. They're tricky. They're hard. It's you know, it's just a battle sometimes, which is which is what a relationship is. So I think that we don't really, um, it's, it's because it's an image, it's not the reality that sometimes it can be hard to let it go. And I think that that in general um, is what a lot of older bisexuals sometimes feel, especially if they've been closeted. You know, I get emails from people all the time and, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm bisexual, but I never really acted on it. You know, I got married at 18, you've kids and mortgage. And now, you know, they're, they're like, but now I realise that like, I am bisexual and, you know, should I have acted on it? Is it too late? And I'm like, well, unless you want an open relationship, it's too late. Um, and I th and one thing I always say to them is like the image you have in your mind of this, you know, if it's a, a man or a woman or whatever it is, that you're going to meet this person. It's going to be great. The sex is going to be incredible. Like it's not like it's going to be awkward sex the first time. Um, so I think that, you know, that's our problem as human beings. We, we romanticise an image that it's never really going to be the reality. 
I think you're absolutely right. And the other thing about uh, people who are, who are older coming out, whether it be gay or bi or whatever it may be, um, is that they're in an incredible rush at that point because they've you know not done anything for so many years. They really want to do something about it and therefore they end up creating lots of issues for themselves along the way don't they in terms of there'll be people they've got a crush on they want to see and they'll pester and all the rest of it. that happens a hell of a lot with people who come out in later life oh well, yeah but imagine being on the receiving end of that imagine dating someone that's just come out at 40 or 50 and they've spent 40 or 50 years of their life romanticizing what a same-sex relationship will finally be like and you're just you. You're just a normal person with all your faults and, and pluses. And then you've got this person that's like, I'm really into you and I want this to be like the storybook I have in my head. And it's just, it's not going to happen, to be honest. And I don't know, the thing with unrequited love as well is would you really want someone to have that power over you? Like if there was someone I've been like in love with for years and, and you know, and finally they say, Lewis, fine, come on over. It's your, it's your time. I don't, I don't know if I want someone to have that power over me where I'm like, yes, whatever you say. Like, no, I, I don't want that. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't want to be like head over heels in love with, with the person I'm with. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want someone to have that much power over me that I've been, I've been lusting over them for years and they've not even been bothered. And now, and now they've given me my time. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not in. I'm not here for that. Well, I had a situation whereby um, I had uh, somebody in my life that I was really interested in in a big, big way, and uh, it certainly wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, if, and I realised it eventually. Um, but <laughs> but that person knew very much we we you know we still carried on as friends actually and that's the interesting thing is can are we capable as human beings of being friends with people who we um either have a crush on and they don't have a crush on us or it's the other way around and i'd like to think we can actually but i worry that a lot of the time people can't um but anyway in this particular instance this this um this particular person um uh, we it's really really strange S- suddenly i got involved with somebody else who they were also friends with, and they hated it from that moment onwards. Even though there was no way we were going to get together, because uh, he didn't fancy me in any way, shape, or form. But after I then ended up with somebody else, there was this constant sort of issue: the fact that he couldn't he couldn't have me because he didn't actually fancy me, if you know what I mean. But he didn't want somebody else to have me either. Because there was this, there was this bond between us. It was like a closeness between us on other levels. Do you know what I mean? It's a really strange one, and and it, it, you know, and then I've had other situations whereby straight guys who I've liked, who have realised that I like them, have just continued to use it as a way of, and to be fair, it didn't bother me, but a way of they tend tended to tease and 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 be flirtatious because they they knew they could be you know what I mean and they wanted they got they got away with that I'm not saying you know it didn't bother me and you know but I can imagine it would bother some people but you see where I'm coming from I think it, it I've managed I think with with just about everybody to carry on being friends with them in different ways there have been a couple of people there was a woman who was really obsessed with me once and and, and it was just too much it just I had to sort of you know move on from that and sort of um sever the ties kind of thing um but uh, yeah what i'm saying is it, i suppose what i'm saying is that it'd be quite nice if we could actually 
But again, it's down to the whole thing of communication, isn't it? Actually be honest and open with people and communicate with people and realise actually there are people out there that like us and we don't like them and vice versa. And it's not actually, shouldn't really be a big deal in a way. I don't know if that, I, I don't know. Because back to your story, you know, basically someone had power over you, which was that you liked them a little bit more than they liked you. And then when the dynamic changed, you're like, well, actually, I don't, like, I don't need you in that way anymore because I've got someone else. Then they got all upset because the power was gone. So I think it's about power. And I know I'm meant to be the enthusiastic, optimistic one, but I'm going to break with my own tradition here and say, I don't think you can be friends with people that you're in love with and they're not in love with you. And that's simply because it's not an, it's not a level playing field, to be honest. Like with my friends, you know, we're friends, we get on, we have that, we have a bond of friends. If one of them was always secretly trying to get me into bed or vice versa, or, or, you know, not even just sex, but wanted to be with you, I don't feel like you could ever have, I don't feel like you could ever be on a level of friendship. But if I they, know that's but, really, I know no one expects me to say that, but, but if there they, we are. I'm, but, if I'm they'd, but if they'd accepted it by that point, everyone, both sides had accepted it, surely, you know, you, you can, you, you can't go through, surely you can't go through life. You know, I, I, if somebody says they fancy me and I don't fancy them, I'm not horrified by that. I find it flattering. Do you know what I mean? But uh, but I find but it's that people, not nice for them. But I I know. But I find that people aren't aren't don't find it flattering. They're horrified by it most of the time. Nikki, you come in. Nikki, we've got on, Nikki. Nikki, you got a tie break for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a really interesting one. I do know what you mean, Lewis, about the power differential. And I think what would worry me if is if somebody was using the fact that you were in love with them to get things out of you for their gain. So that makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. But then I also, I actually think that with most unrequited love, if somebody approaches the other person and decides to be honest with them about it and they get turned down, normally it fizzles out quite soon after, actually. That once the chances of it ever, even if it's just in someone's eyes, of the chances of it ever being a reality disappear, then actually they do move on quite quickly. So it's actually, it can be, you could actually do somebody a really kind and bold favour by telling them that you know they've got feelings for you and you don't feel the same and you want them to be happy and move on. But equally, there are, we, we're always talking about different kinds of relationships, aren't we? And different, different kinds of how people identify in different ways. And obviously, you know, sex is one thing, emotions another thing kind of thing. Surely there are situations whereby two people might not bond physically and sexually or whatever, but they might realise that they've got some kind of bond uh, friendship or whatever. I've certainly got people in this situation where there's where there's been unrequited, rather than unrequited love, there's been more unrequited lust, where I've actually carried on being, you know, being in contact with them, being friends with them. And we often laugh about the fact that we were in a situation whereby something could have happened, but it didn't really happen because we weren't really into each other properly. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so, you know, there's that kind of thing. And also, coming back to the bi thing again, and I suppose the gay and bi thing, what about, I mentioned it just now about the fact that um, there have been straight men who felt sort of um, flattered in a way. Because straight, let's face it, a lot of straight men like the idea of gay men fancying them, even though they don't they think it's great for their ego. Oh, my husband's one of them. He's terrible. <laughs> Absolute cocktease, honestly. You take him out to a festival <laughs> or a party and he just loves being looked at and it's just so ridiculous. I just tease him no end for it. It's so cruel. I'm like, stop dashing their dreams. He's like, no, I'm giving them their fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> does, that, does that happen with women as well, Nikki? Are there, are there, straight, are there straight women who are, 
who love the fact that some you know a, a gay woman or a bi woman <laughs> might fancy them, but they don't they don't fancy them. Yeah, I can actually think of again one of my friends who <laughs> actually once said to her, um, "Who do you think this is? I don't know if you've ever played this game with your friends. Um, who do you could you think of somebody that you know that's wanked over you, or who do you think's had a wank over you that would never admit to it?" And she she just looked at me and she went, "Well, everybody, of course." <laughs> she really believed it. <laughs> I've never oh stopped God. teasing her about it. She was extremely drunk at the time, but I think there was a hint of truth in it. She is a, she is a sexy person, but it just really, really made me laugh. Interesting tales, and uh, that's the whole point of this uh, bisexual brunch podcast: is we can be open and honest about these things. <laughs> so, no, it, it is it is great um, to talk about this kind of thing because I, I say I don't I don't think it does get talked about unrequited love, and 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 you know I think we've all. We've all been there in some way, shape, or form. Lewis says it's all been fleeting or whatever, but um, but you know, I'm not sure I believe that completely. I'm sure. I don't, I'm I sure. I don't have a candle out. I'm for sure there's people. I'm sure there's people who had crushes on you, Lewis, at some point. And you, yeah, Lewis, people... you've got you've got a, a, a little fan base out there, so we know there's people yeah. on the internet that, at the very minimum, that fancy you. Absolutely. Yeah, but like a little bit of. But those people are just whores. They like they like everyone's <laughs> topless picture. Like, they're at it with everyone. I don't feel special. Um, (laughs) I see you. I see, like, I get these likes from these certain people whenever I take off a a layer of clothing. I know what they want. They're not going to get it. Well, they will get it, but you know what I mean. But on a serious note, I think that we can't really, like, not, you know, talk about unrequited love without talking about, like, bisexuality factoring into being the reason that the love is unrequited. Um, and I do think that is a huge issue that not a lot of other sexualities deal with. Like, okay, you have, like, the gay guys that are attracted to straight men. It can, it can never be true because, you know, their sexualities are different. Um, but I do feel like with bisexuals, there are so many instances where um, we've been rejected because of being bisexual. And I, I've definitely experienced that, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, we're back in the day tindering it's all going so well we've got a date booked in the banter's good we all think each other are sexy then it's like oh I'm just gonna tell her you know I'm bisexual by the way just in case and all of a sudden it's like ghost um and I I think that that is sometimes hard for bisexuals where it's like but how is it that my sexuality is the reason why I can't find love because it can it can start to feel like that in some ways so yeah there we go um talking about the things that nobody else is talking about Please do get in touch with us and let us know if there's anything you think we should be talking about. What other taboos are out there? Uh, other than being bisexual, of course, which, as we know, in lots of quarters is still a ridiculous taboo. But, you know, tell us um, what you think. Is there anything in particular you think we should be uh, talking about on uh, Bisexual Brunch? And do keep getting in touch with us anyway about your own uh, stories and, um, and and bisexual journeys. And we'll try and get as many of them on air across the globe broadcasting to the world creating this bisexual community as much as we possibly can okay well that's bisexual brunch for this week if you've got any comments thoughts musings do get in touch with us at at bisexual brunch on twitter and thank you for listening and we'll see you later bye for now You know what, guys? I'm resurrecting my um, bisexual sticker campaign. So I'm going to go out and start stickering the streets with some bisexuality. It's a lovely day for it. Purple everywhere. It's your purple patch.
<laughs> the purple patch. Oh, I'm going to steal that. You should have copyrighted it. <laughs> this program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.